Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 679 of the podcast and it is Thursday the 9th of March 2023 as I record this a few days early as we're away for the weekend. In today's show I'm talking to Jeff Adams about content for all, how to make our online presence and our books more accessible because authors and readers are a diverse bunch. So how can we ensure our content reaches everyone when it also seems such a time-consuming and potentially expensive task? We want to do the right thing, but there are some barriers. So how can we do that? This is one of those interviews where we explored lots of things and Jeff made me think a lot about how I can improve my content. And wherever you are in the author journey, this is something we could all improve. So I know you will find this interesting and useful. So that's coming up in the interview section. In publishing and book marketing news, well, an absolutely fascinating article and a kind of surprising one by Ryan Holiday called This Decision Changed My Business and My Life. Now, Ryan is most famous these days for his books on stoicism, The Obstacle is the Way and others. But he was first known for marketing books and his books on marketing. He helped Tim Ferriss back in the early days of the four hour work week and Robert Greene on 48 Laws of Power. He's been on this show twice in 2014, talking about the obstacle is the way. And again in 2017, talking about perennial seller, about how to write things that last, how to create things that last. He now owns a bookshop, The Painted Porch in Texas. So in this article, he outlines his decision to stop spending on paid marketing, like PR, co-op placement, which is when you pay to have things in certain areas in a shop, and paid Facebook ads. He says, It's not that I wasn't getting a return on my investment, but it struck me just how empty it all was. I was putting all this time and energy and money into something which, were I ever to stop, would leave barely a trace behind. So he started making stuff and using that money to pay people to make stuff and help make stuff. Podcasts, videos, social media, basically content marketing. And this is so funny to me because obviously this is what I've built my business on. And it's interesting that a guy like Ryan, who has really, <laughs> really was known for advertising back before, you know, in the corporate days, essentially. So he says, Instead of using your energy and resources and effort to make stuff that converts, you should use your energy and resources and effort to make stuff that matters because it is valuable in and of itself. And yeah, I mean, if you've read my book on marketing, how to market a book, or um, I, I have a content marketing for fiction course, which actually goes into this. And I absolutely paid, I use paid ads and I'm not going to stop using paid ads. I think paid ads are great, although I prefer to pay other people to run them for me as I don't want to spend my time on it, but I, I realise many of us have to. But I have built my author career and my business and a lot of my friendships are based on content marketing. So this podcast is 
a really good example. When I started this in 2009, uh, it was really to make friends. <laughs> it was to connect with the community because I was a new indie author. I was getting a lot of flack for that choice um, or I felt I was and uh, or that I felt that the energy was against it and I wanted to meet authors like me and having a podcast was a really good way because I could people would just talk to me it was amazing and some of them I connected with and some of those people are you know my closest friends now so it's really interesting how over time what we might start as content marketing turns into much more and I consider this podcast for example part of my creative body of work it it has sometimes, I realise, it has more of an impact on people's lives than my books do. So while I absolutely will keep writing books, podcasting touches people in a different way. And I love content marketing. I love having content out there that helps people, that inspires people. I love my books and travel site. And it is, it's funny, I know I let it go, but uh, I haven't let it go. I basically, it's kind of on hiatus, but I do have some episodes coming up, but it's going to be more of a sporadic thing. But it's so interesting to hear Ryan say this. And yeah, so have a think about that. If you feel that you are someone who just doesn't like the ad side of things, don't let that stop you doing marketing because content marketing can be creatively fulfilling in itself. I'm quite excited about the potential of um, the AI text to video. I've put aside video for a long time because it's too time consuming and not something I enjoy. But I love using Midjourney to create images. And so I'm really looking forward to when we can do text to video because I think I'll be able to create a lot more that way too. So this creating stuff that then brings attention to our books is content marketing. So fascinating article by Ryan. And yeah, go back and listen to those episodes if you're interested. And remember, you can always find the episodes if you go to thecreativepen.com and uh, on the, the first page is a search bar. So you can use it and just search Ryan Holiday, for example. And kind of related in useful stuff, I wanted to remind you about entering awards and competitions with your books, not just your books, your flash fiction, your short stories, all of these things. There are lots of awards for all kinds of writing, all kinds of books, all kinds of genres and levels of writing. And I'm getting back to this because I'm going to enter some, in fact, I have already entered some for pilgrimage and I'm going to do some more. And I thought I would share some useful links. So Reedsy have a list of writing contests and these links are all in the show notes. The Alliance of Independent Authors have a list which also rates the competitions based on whether they are worth entering uh, or just there to make money because that is the problem. <laughs> it's that some of them are just like, well, you could be an award-winning author, but it might not be something that's worth doing or something that's charging and you just never get anything for that. So I think the Alliance actually goes through and rates things as green or orange or red. So I went through that list and also I went through the Reedsy list and then I made sure I checked on the Alliance list. And finally, bookawardpro.com has a service where you can load up their book. They have services to identify and even submit your book to various awards based on genre. So I'm looking at that again. I did that a few years ago, but I'm going to go back and look at that again. Uh, because I do have a goal of winning an award as JF Penn and Pilgrimage is by JF Penn. <laughs> Even though it's not fiction, I actually figured that maybe memoir might be an interesting category to enter awards on. Why not? You only win awards by improving your writing craft and 
entering awards. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to do that. We'll see what happens. I mean, these things are not under your control, except that you can enter your book into them. So I'm going to give it a go and wanted to remind you that it is possible. And in my personal update, well, I had a reading day last weekend and a book recommendation for you this week, The Creative Act, A Way of Being by Rick Rubin. Now, I tried this on audio, and uh, but I found it a bit too annoying. It has gongs, gong noises, which annoyed me between sort of spiritual readings. And I was like, oh, that's annoying me. But reading it in hardback was perfect because I was able to read it at my pace and not have gong noises. You might like gong noises, but uh, yeah, I rec- if, you, if you have tried it on audio and didn't like it, I would suggest trying it again in print or ebook. It gave me, I guess, more time to think about each short chapter. And although Rick is primarily a music producer, I loved his insights on the creative process. I have lots of highlights in the book and I will be reflecting on those again, but I'll share this quote with you today. As artists, we aim to live in a way in which we see the extraordinary hidden in the seemingly mundane. Then challenge ourselves to share what we see in a way that allows others a glimpse of this remarkable beauty. And this resonates so much for me, and I often feel like I see a setting or a situation or just the world differently from others, except you lot. I mean, I think writers in general, we're just a bit weird. (laughs) You're my weird. Uh, Anyway, and then we try and bring glimpses of that through into our books, either through the eyes of a character, sometimes that character is ourselves, but definitely seeing the extraordinary hidden in the mundane and then sharing that, challenging ourselves to share what we see. That's basically what we do. It's fantastic. Now, there's lots more things that resonated in the book. And uh, if you enjoyed Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert and or The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp, which is one of those, she is a choreographer, but again, that book is fantastic. The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp. If you enjoyed either of those, I think you'll enjoy The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. So in terms of work, I have basically been recording and editing my writing setting course, which uh, will be out hopefully this week as this goes out. And so so I'll I'll probably announce that next week. Um, But yep, that's almost done. And I am so looking forward to writing some fiction after this. I kind of I'm at that finishing energy point with this pilgrimage kickstarter now because the course is part of that that I I really want to also I really want to publish the book out there it is on pre-order for May um on some of the stores um also on my own store it's available for uh pre-order for April and it's like I really want to get the book into the world in other ways but also I want to get back to writing so yeah I'm gonna I'm probably doing a standalone at least I think it's a standalone (laughs) But then I thought Map of Shadows was a standalone when I was writing it. Um, But the working title is The Catacomb Book. There we go. You can guess. Might have a catacomb in. So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments. There were so many responses to Lindsay's interview last week. I can't possibly read them all. But it's very clear that many of you loved hearing from Lindsay and would really enjoy an extra episode of Six Figure Authors. And fingers crossed that is on the way. (laughs) Mia Knight said this was an awesome episode you can tell how comfortable you are with each other thanks for letting us in on your friendly catch-up you touched on a lot of topics for those who've been in the game for a long time very informative thank you Mia 
And LL Volts says, just listened, driving south for work, Olympia to Portlandia. Thank you for the author inspiration, honesty and education. And Mona Knapp sent a picture. In fact, I had quite a lot of pictures this week too. Thank you for those. I really enjoy seeing them. Uh, and also a lot of pictures of pilgrimage arriving at different people's houses. So that's really good that it's on its way. Mona Caps said, just listening to the episode while knitting a Doctor Who scarf for a friend. And I had to share that one because the scarf picture was excellent. And and also Kitty Bouchaltz says uh, she shared a picture of her lawn, of her washing machine. <laughs> You said you love hearing how we're taking you with us as we do our mundane chores. I'm listening as I do laundry, then empty the dishwasher. (laughs) Before going to writing my latest chiclet book, Death and Tacos. No, that's excellent. Definitely, I listen to podcasts doing the laundry and the dishwasher and cooking. So remember, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen and send me pictures of where you're listening. Email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com. Leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. So today's show is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors and their team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help you reach new readers around the world. Oh, and just to remind you, Kobo is an anagram of book. (laughs) Some people still don't know that, so I just thought I'd remind you. Today's interview is on accessibility and Kobo have a blog post and someone actually in charge of this on how they make reading more accessible. It includes being able to change your font size or the typeface to suit how you read, or if people have lost strength or mobility in their hands and can't hold a book, the Kobo e-readers are light and easy to read when it's sitting on a table. Another way is through having audiobooks and also being available in libraries with your e-books and audio. In 2021, top digital library systems powered by Overdrive loaned 500 million books, an increase of 16% on 2020. That's half a billion book loans, which means a lot of happy library readers. You can easily reach library readers through Kobo Writing Life. All you need to do is go to the rights and distribution section of your book if you publish direct, click yes to Overdrive and enter a library price. Your book will then be available to librarians to purchase for multi-loan use, but also for a one-time checkout option. Distributing with KWL means you're not paying any aggregator fee and you earn 50% on every library sale. If you're interested in taking part in library promotions, email KWL's dedicated author care team at writinglife.kobo.com and they'll add you to their mailing list. That's writinglife.kobo.com. Don't forget to tell your readers they can pick up your book in libraries. And yes, you can get my books in libraries, <laughs> in ebook, audio and print. Just ask your librarian. If you want to learn more about KWL, check out the Kobo Writing Life podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and find them on social. Create your free account today at kobo.com forward slash writing life. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating the show is sponsored by my patrons and they especially support the in-between episodes on AI and other futurist topics. And I am especially grateful to those patrons who continue to support the show for years and months. It demonstrates you find the show useful and want it to continue. Thanks to new patrons this week, David Golston and Rick Huerta. 
And if you support the show on Patreon, you get my extra monthly Q&A for patrons only, which I will be doing probably this week. You also you also get discount codes, behind the scenes info, early access and more. You can support the show with just a few dollars or pounds or euros or whatever your currency is. And you can do that at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Jeff Adams is the author of YA Thrillers and Gay Romance, as well as the co-host of the Big Gay Fiction podcast with his husband and business partner, Will. Jeff's latest book is Content for Everyone, a practical guide for creative entrepreneurs to produce accessible and usable web content, co-written with Michele Lucini. So welcome back to the show, Jeff. Thank you, Joanna. It's so wonderful to be here. Oh, yes. And of course, we've met in person at Podcast Movement and you were on the show with Will back in April 2020, which is a long time ago. So give us an update on what you've been up to since then in terms of your books and the big gay media empire. (laughs) I aspire to it being an empire. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It sounds like a massive empire, like big gay media. You know, it, it sounds like you should be doing TV shows and all kinds of things. Definitely an aspirational thing there. Uh, the last couple of years since April 2020, I think like for so many creatives, and you hear it on the show all the time, it's like it's been a difficult span with the pandemic and things just going on in the world. And the last novel I published was actually the same month I was on your show last. Uh, been doing some short stories, novellas that have been in anthologies, but the creative writing has really been kind of difficult. That said, we've kept going with the podcast. That's still going. We're in our eighth year now of Big Gay Fiction. Oh, wow. Mm. And this nonfiction book, though, has seemed to spark my desire for fiction again. I feel those juices flowing. And it makes me think what you what you talk about here sometimes, the way that you do fiction and then you do a nonfiction, you kind of pivot back and forth, kind of have a palate cleansing moment. I think I've maybe shoot away all the bad stuff, maybe, to let me refocus on fiction. Mm -hmm. Although that's interesting you say that I haven't written a full novel either since probably that year or maybe 2021, but I've mainly been writing short stories and I did a novella as well. So how does that feel? Because, I mean, you have a day job and this book is partly to do with that. But how has that made you feel as a creator, especially in the communities we're in where kind of rapid, (laughs) rapid production, especially in romance, is kind of the thing? I've been through a lot of feelings on that. Uh, Initially, it's like, why can't I continue to do what I had been doing for like the last two, three, four years before that? Because I'd gotten into a pace where I was doing two, three, four books in a calendar year. And then it just, it kind of all fell apart (laughs) of what I was trying to do there. And so there was a little bit of beating myself up, but then it was like, this is the best that I can do right now. And I have to take care of myself which I think I'm in a position to do because I don't try to do this full time at the moment. I I can't imagine the stress on somebody who was in the mindset that I was, but also has to pay the bills with their creative output at the same time. I think that's so important. And I often try to bring it back to this as well, which is most authors do have a day job. (laughs) And I guess one of the things in the community, even traditional publishing is like, oh, 
to be a proper writer or whatever, you must be full time. But that's not actually true. I mean, even I could say this podcast is like my day job. I, it brings me an in income. It's not technically writing, although the transcripts <laughs> are millions of words at, at this <laughs> point. But um, so you said, you know, the best I could do now. How many books do you have, though? You have quite a few. It's quite a few. I mean, one of the things that I did through those years I wasn't writing was getting some stuff republished because I got a whole bunch of rights back at the end of 2019 and in the early part of 2020. So I did do some republishing. I did do some freshening of some things. So I think in total, I think right now, I think it's eight novels and probably five or six short stories out there. But this is a funny thing, right? Because you see some authors are like, yeah, I have I have one book or three books or five books. And for some people, that is a whole career. So we've got to be a bit more gentle on ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I learned that for sure. Mm. Oh, well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad. So what does the podcast do for you and the business? It definitely keeps the name out there. And we continue to get put across, like, if you like the books we talk about on this show, We've written books you might also like. Uh, so it it still is that marketing element that it was even going back to when we started it, when I was writing much more. And it also lets us keep our networking into the community, even if we're not working with other authors on like cross-promoting books through our email lists or all those things that authors might gather up to do. Even in this moment where I'm not writing, I'm still active in that author community through the podcast and promoting the genre instead of just potentially dropping out entirely if we hadn't had the show and then I'm not writing at the same time. So I feel like it's definitely helped to maintain that connection and network to the genre that we operate in. Mm, and that's really good. I feel the same. Like, I mean, I, I don't think we've actually spoken since when we spoke in April 2020. But I mean, we're kind of aware of each other and we email sometimes. And like, there's a sort of connection between community members, which supports all of us. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, I feel the same way with my show. And often we don't know who's listening. Like we don't know who's listening to this. They may never have heard of the Big Gay Fiction podcast, but now they have. And it is one of the best show names in the industry. I still love it. <laughs> so we should probably talk about the book, which is this content for everyone. So what is accessible content? Because it's one of those terms we've heard we might not understand. And why is it important? And why do you care? We could probably talk the next hour about that, but I'll bring it down to some key points. So if you think about the content that's out there on the web, and I think most of us think about engaging with content in the way that we personally do. And for most of us, it's engaging with it visually on our screen. We're probably navigating with a mouse or maybe a trackball or a trackpad or whatever that is. If you're on a mobile device, a tablet, it's tap and zoom and pinch and whatnot. But if you think about people who need to use other methods to interact, perhaps they're blind and using a screen reader, there's going to be barriers to them potentially accessing your content because of how it's done. You could have somebody, um, certainly anybody who is has hearing loss, transcripts for our shows are so important for them to be able to get the messages, understand what we're putting out in our shows. Similarly, captions for videos. Think about images. Images of text are used all the time in our industry. I think one of the things we see for authors right now that are so popular are those square images with the book in the middle and all the arrows coming into the book cover. 
mm. you know, talking about tropes and plot points and whatnot. So not only if, if people are blind, they're obviously going to need some other text, either in the alternative text or in the post itself to give us the, give us what's in the image. But then if they're low vision and you've got bad color contrast in that image, people aren't able to connect with that. If somebody's dyslexic and the font you've chosen is really curly and fancy, maybe they can't connect with that. Those are just some easy examples for to talk about when we think about accessible content. And it's important because everything is on the internet these days. And certainly for us independent authors, we rely on our websites, on the stores that we run, on social media, on our newsletters to convey these messages. And if you think about the population that is has some form of disability, you're talking over a billion people across the world. Roughly 20 to 25% of the population who has a disability that is somehow reported, whether it's because they're maybe getting disability from the government agency, it's recorded with their insurance, maybe they filled it out on a survey form at some point. And that's just the people that are admitted as such. If you add things that are temporary, like somebody breaks their arm, they can't use their mouse, they need to navigate by keyboard. Something that's more situational. Think about somebody maybe holding an infant and can't get to their cell phone at the moment. They may ask one of the assistants on the phone to do the job. I won't say the name, <laughs> lest mm -hmm. one of them go off. Or somebody even episodic with a migraine or an arthritis flare-up and how that impacts how they deal with the world that day. Accessible content matters. And one callback I'll make to the episode that's just been out the week that we're talking, which is 675. You mentioned that report from Ben Evans, 5 billion people have a smartphone and, you know, the pandemic remade e-commerce and the internet, more people are online, more people to access the content. If your content's not accessible, then you're missing people. Mm. And explain why you in particular care about this. It's been my day job <laughs> for the last more than a decade now. I've worked for a company called UsableNet, and UsableNet was founded as a company working in digital accessibility. And in particular, over the last six, seven years, I've been working closely with companies on their accessibility programs and really looking at the broad range of things that go into digital accessibility, which is far more than we talk about in this book. And learning that, working with these companies, working with them on their content. It started with just me tying it back to my own websites. Like if I'm going to talk about this, I need to make them as accessible as I can with my technical experience, which is pretty close to none outside of what I could do in those platforms. Because uh, I can't manipulate, for example, my WordPress theme. I can only do the things that I can do within the content entry place itself. And then beyond trying to improve my own sites, you know, I see what my fellow podcasters, my fellow authors, others in the creative community put out there. And once you know what not accessible content is, it's really hard not to, to focus on it when you see it somewhere. It's like, oh, oh, those colors, that's a problem. Oh, these this link text. I wish that was something better for people, you know? And so it's like, I want to help spread the word in a place where it's not talked about that much, it's talked so much, especially here in the U.S., because it's very litigious for e-commerce companies who aren't accessible. 
but there's so many more people to talk to about talk to about this and to improve the internet for everybody. So it's become my thing in a way I never thought it would. I never thought I'd write a book about my day job, essentially. Well, and I, we're going to get into some tips for what we can do in a bit more detail, but I am going to play devil's advocate because one of the things that people think, so for example, I have always had a transcript on this show since the beginning. And at the beginning, I used to do it myself. And then I started paying humans. And then there were the AI tools came along. And then you still need them cleaning up and they get, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I've always done that primarily for a business reason, which is SEO. Um, Mm. And it's had the wonderful side effect of making the content accessible. And in fact, some people listening, they're not listening, they're reading the transcript. A lot of people do just read the transcript for my show. But the point being that I had a, a business reason. So over the years I've invested, but I know a lot of podcasters, we both know podcasters who do not do a transcript because it's either expensive financially or expensive time-wise if you try and do it yourself. The same way, if you say like an image on a blog or a social media, like if I upload an image to Instagram or an, an author listening goes, okay, I'm going to upload one of those images to Instagram or I'm going to upload an image every day. I make a, uh, do I make a half-hearted attempt to try and describe it? That's going to take me another minute or two. It's too long. Or like you say, captions on video, I have to hold my hand up and say, I don't do captions because of the amount of time it takes, or I would have to outsource it. So time and money, it's going to cost us to do that. So how can we address that? Because I, I'm pretty sure everyone wants to be the best we can be, right? But how do we get over that that hump? Or, or do you have a sort of principle we can approach that with? There's a lot of ways to approach that. And I'm right there with you. Like Big Gay Fiction, we started transcribing our interviews uh, episode 180 because we didn't have the resource and the money coming in to do it. And we have finally expanded to full episode transcripts probably about 50 to 75 episodes after that big gay author rarely had transcripts uh, because again, a monetary issue, you have to do the best that you can with what you have and decide the areas where, you know, either that your audience will get a lot from it for you. Like you had the business case early on with the podcast for SEO purposes. And certainly it improves SEO because of all the words that are in the transcript and really think about what your audience is going to need and what they're the audience you might be missing because something's not there. I'll give you an example of something that's in the book actually with, we, we interviewed a few people for the book to get different perspectives from people with different disabilities and where the barriers are problematic for them. So author E.M. Lindsay, uh, they want and have tried to many times in the past to take courses, whether it's a craft course, an ads course, a marketing course, you know, the the breadth of the things that are out there for authors to take to improve. Mm. They so often find that in live scenarios, captions aren't available, even if they are automated. They're not there to help uh, because they have hearing loss. Often the replays don't have captions. And this is for something that somebody's paid for. Can I just jump in there? Okay. So yeah. I have video courses. I don't have captions, but I always have transcripts. Is that just not good enough? The transcript definitely works because you are giving an alternative way for somebody who can't engage with the audio. So in that case, the transcript 
definitely works because then the information is still available to that person. That's just an example of you have to think about what your audience needs, what you can give them, what fits within the budget. Because I definitely understand that you can't do everything all the time. It's like almost any other decision that you make in your business. And here, it's just a matter of doing what you can to improve the experience for as much of your audience as you can. It really dials back to something that we mentioned in the book a couple of times about progress over perfection. Do something to start to improve, whether it's the images, whether it's captions, whether it's use of colors, whether it's how you do your link text, whatever that is, think about the things that we present in the book and then figure out how that maybe adapts to your business now, what you might adjust from your previous previously posted content and what you'll do going forward into the future as well. Yes. So images, for example, I probably spent the first five years of my internet life, not even doing the alt text field (laughs) until someone, I mean, even for SEO, that's really bad. So can you just go into some specifics around images? And I still find this difficult. Like on Twitter, for example, you can type in some descriptive text and I just find it really hard. So the example you gave of the book with the arrows going onto it, can you tell us what we would tag that with, what text we would use? Sure. So, and there's a couple places you can do this too, because you could also put it in the post itself rather than the alt text so that it's just there for anybody who needs it. They can get it from the image and get it from the post. But if you think about one of those arrow ones, you could say, and I actually built an example of this as one of the things that we have as one of the extras in the book. So Tracker Hacker by Jeff Adams is a YA thriller that includes hiding secrets, rescuing the dad, hacking into computer systems, on and on and on. So each of those things would have been the arrow, and then it just becomes a sentence, whether it's in there as the alt text itself, or if it's even in the post, it restates what's in the image, but then it essentially makes the image into being decorative. So if nobody saw the image, For whatever reason, they still understand everything about the book because of what you've written in the post or in the alt text. But do you you have to say with book cover showing person standing by a lake on a yellow background? Not necessarily because it likely doesn't matter. Right. I think that's what confuses me because you see some people doing it and they're describing all the different things about the landscape that's on the book cover or something. And I think that's what makes it hard. It's almost like there, there are different rules for the different types of images. But you're saying it's essentially making sure someone who can't see the picture gets the gist of what you're trying to say, not an exact description of the image. Exactly. And it matters in context. As well. So the book cover on that image, on that promo image, the book cover itself probably doesn't matter. The key things are the title, the author, and what the plot points are. That's what's driving that promo image. If Mm. that cover sits on a cover artist's website, then the alternative text is probably describing everything that's in the cover itself the landscape, the lake, the colors, et cetera. 
because maybe it's up for sale as a pre-made cover. So somebody who maybe can't see it does need the additional information. So the context, it, it, it matters. And the high level kind of thing that I always say is, if you can't see that image, what do you as the content creator need me to get from it? And it probably isn't the detail on the book, but the promotional element of what you're doing that image for. Yeah, I can see that. I can see. <laughs> I mean, I'm a very visual person, but actually I also have a lot of visual issues. So this is something I care very much about. I mean, I could in my lifetime not be able to see. So this is something that I do think about and I just think I get wrong all the time. So this is something I'm interested in learning more about. You mentioned link text a couple of times. Can you explain how to do that properly? Mm-hmm. Before I get into link text, I want to say one more quick thing about images that I think a lot of people also don't know. Instagram and Facebook automatically write your alt text for you. Oh, that's handy. What about Twitter doesn't? (laughs) Twitter does not, thank goodness. Do not let Facebook and Instagram write your alt text because it will be wrong. (laughs) If 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 there's text in your image... And I'll use the idea of the arrow picture again, the promo image. Mm-hmm. It's going to read all the text left to right. So it's not going to like figure out that the thing on the right side of the book is all one thing. And the thing on the left side is all one thing. It's going to read straight across no matter what. It's going to read all the text off your book as it goes through left to right. And it'll just flat be wrong and a bunch of garbage. So you should always be looking at what it's automatically generating for you and then writing your own. So oh, that okay. you don't so you up, end up you upload with gibberish. Right. So you upload an image on Facebook and then you, the image will give you some options. And if you don't type it in, then it will just do that, basically. Mm-hmm. So you need to type over type it or something. Yeah, definitely over type it because it's okay. always wrong. I've never seen good auto-generated text on either platform. Do you think this is going to get better, though? I mean, obviously, there, there's a, a lot of AI tools and some of them are getting better. I mean, is this something that will should improve? I'd like to think so. I think where AI will always struggle is to get the context concept, unless they're going to tie the AI to actually look at the post, the text of the post to decide how to marry it to the image. I'd like to think that it'll get there though. AI, as you point out all the time, the things you were thinking were going to come in five or 10 years are here now. Yeah. So it's got to get better. It's just, I don't know how it'll deal with generating the right context but hopefully it can at least get better at what's actually present in the image and parsing that information out better yeah okay link text link text so i'm sure we see this all the time where it's just click here buy now buy this add to cart read more (laughs) etc people who use screen readers for example and other forms of assistive technology have the ability to pull up and review a list of links. The screen reader will just read out every link that's on the page, which can be really handy to jump to what you need. But if you are faced with a full page of click here, read more, add to cart, you have no idea where any of those links go off to. So creating good link text is something I hope that we could all do, start to do relatively easy. So instead of saying, click here, be more specific. You know, click to Amazon to see content for everyone. Get content for everyone at my store. Turning that in, it'll be longer link text, but it'll be more descriptive link text, 
which could also be good for even some people who have some cognitive disabilities who might maybe have even short-term memory loss where seeing those very words as an underlying link text will go, yes, that that's what I need. And I, even if I don't recall what might've been in the paragraph before it, and it'll help everybody scan the page faster to find exactly a link they may want, as opposed to just seeing a bunch of click here, whether they are going to have to actually read through everything else to see what each individually click here is within a context. Yeah. And it's funny, again, I think this is a practice that I started doing because of SEO, because Google links and all the SEO stuff, you need a descriptive link to make it rank better. So again, I think I fell into that (laughs) for good business reasons. And now most of my site would be all right for that, although I'm still guilty of it sometimes, for sure. Actually, I say that in the show notes, I'll say maybe talking about this particular topic, and then I'll have the source in a bracket and it will just say the guardian or something like that. And I don't include the whole headline because those show notes go into like Spotify and stuff like that. So it is difficult, isn't it? Because we kind of also designing our content for these different tools that read into it. Like Twitter, you only have a certain amount of words. So you have to change what you do in order to, um, to make that right. So yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Are, Are there any other particular ones for authors where you think this is something people consistently do wrong or could improve, let's say not do wrong, but could improve. Emails that are all images. I mean, based on what we talked about a moment ago with images, you can imagine if you've got an email full of images and no text, somebody, people do you know, that. The people oh, really yeah. do that. Really? People really do that. Yeah. Including like big, big e-commerce companies do it all the time. And we keep telling them, please don't do that because there's going to be an entire segment of your population who's going to have no idea for any number of reasons. From color contrast to font choices, you're probably not loading up good alt text in your email forms all too often. And so all of that plays into it. Uh, And doing good link text in an email, because certainly in an email, if you're like listing a bunch of books, blurb one, buy now, blurb two, buy now be more specific about what book somebody's going to be able to buy now. Hmm. Emoji use. <laughs> Everybody loves their emojis. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what most of them mean. I literally use smiley face and thumbs up. That's about it. <laughs> That's good cuz those are often well read, but you could find places where people will put an emoji between each word in a headline for an exa- for example. So if you use the emoji that's the smiley face with the stars in its eyes, every time a screen uh, yeah, reader okay, sees sometimes. that, yeah, yeah, but you know the one I'm talking about. Yes. It means like surprise or wow or something like that, does it? Well, a screen reader will read it out as starstruck. Oh, okay. So yeah. imagine a headline that might be on sale now, 40% off. And if you've got that emoji between each of them, it'll be something to the effect of, on starstruck sales starstruck now starstruck 40 starstruck percent per, oh, how starstruck annoying. off exactly <laughs> <laughs> and it could be a trouble for cognitively disabled users too trying to figure out those what those words mean with those emojis between them what do the emojis mean in context trying to parse the whole sentence so it's just maybe put the starstruck off at the end so that it ends with that thing, but using it between each word 
can be problematic. And then if you're stringing a whole bunch of emojis together, you can't be sure that a screen reader is going to read out what you mean it to what you actually mean those to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, again, we only have so much time mm-hmm. to do things and you did mention progress over perfection, but maybe the tip is look, just pick one thing to start doing better. So for me, I am definitely going to try and get better at text or describing my images because I know it's something that I'm, I do, but I don't do it very well. (laughs) So I think I could get better at that. I mean, is that the way to do it? Like, don't try and do everything because let's face it, we all have a lot of things to do. Yeah, it's really the best way to, to consider it. I would say if everybody, if I was to break things down, it's like, pick one or two things from the book and decide I'm going to do in your case, images better. Maybe I'm going to do link text better. And when you, as you get comfortable doing that and it becomes just part of the process and the way you do things, maybe you go back and pick up another thing to start doing well and start going forward and look at your website too. Like is your, just look at your homepage, for example, it is the homepage meeting the requirements that we've laid out in the book. And if not, do you want to do a quick update there to make that better? And even like top level pages, maybe make those better, but definitely parse it all out. Don't stop writing your book to go fix this, but start to understand it, see where you could start chipping away at it. And over time, it becomes a thing that you just do because, you know, I don't do my alt text perfectly every time either. Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> it's like, I'm just trying to post this right now. And I know that I'm not supposed to do that, but it's always progress over perfection. And maybe I'll go back and fix it later. Uh, <laughs> you know, if I'm on the run or something as I'm posting or just flat forget it sometimes. Because also these platforms don't make it super easy to go do it. Twitter does, but Facebook and Instagram don't. Mm. Just on the website thing, I mean, generally, the older your website is, the less accessible it is, right? Because a lot of the modern themes are on WordPress, certainly are mobile compatible. They scale depending on what kind of device you're on. I mean, sometimes I'll click on that, say a tweet that somebody's put out because I still use Twitter a lot. I'll click on a tweet and I'll on my phone and I'll end up on someone's website that is uh, sort of pre 2000 probably and it's like a black background and it's tiny because it's not scaled to a mobile device and so you have to pinch and try and scroll in but I mean I find the white text on a black background is utterly ridiculous or like you mentioned about color stuff it's not necessarily that you're even that people are entirely blind although obviously some people are but some people that there's just other things going on aren't there do the best you can i mean it sounds like i'm saying don't do anything at all but it's like if you've got an older website see how it can fit into your plan to upgrade your template upgrade your platform to move yourself into the 2023s but yeah, you're right. There are companies who still have and individuals who still have those pre-2000 websites that don't scale up on the phone. It's interesting you mentioned that dark background with white text doesn't work for you because I actually operate in dark mode all the time. So even really? my Word document is black background with white text. It's just it's easier on my eyes. That's so interesting. My husband does the same. And I'm not going to say anything about your age. <laughs> But I feel like, I know, people who used to use computers back in the day, (laughs) when that's what they were, is that where it comes from for you? 
<laughs> it's really only recently I've switched to this more dark mode setting because it was recommended to me actually by somebody I interviewed for the book. She operates in dark mode all the time. And she's like, give it a shot. You might actually like it. And then within short, within a couple of weeks, I had it across all my devices because it's just, I think I spend so much time in front of a device mm. or a screen that it just does make it easier for me. I think from a brightness point of view and from a text sharpness point of view for me to operate there, it's something like 50% of people, 50, 55% prefer dark mode uh, yeah. on their devices for whatever reason. It's also, there's a great statistic around captions that like 60 to 70% of people will have captions on if they're available because oh, it's how they prefer to, to engage, whether it's a TV show, something on YouTube, uh, to have those on because it's a little bit more way for them to connect with the content. Yes, and I, there's some crazy stat now that it's not just people of older category. It's a lot of young people prefer captions. Oh, absolutely. On yeah. like on Netflix and stuff like that. And but it's interesting because we've been watching a lot of Korean TV on Netflix, and of course it is all captioned. And it was so funny. I found myself saying to Jonathan, "Oh, can you turn it up a bit?" <laughs> Even though we're watching the captions, I still want to hear the sound of the. I really like Korean language, but it's interesting. We've talked mainly, well, entirely, really about digital, but of course, we all do print books as well. So I've been doing large print for, mm -hmm. I don't know, years now, many years. I've been doing large print and sell a lot of large print romance because my mum writes more senior romance but what I found like personally I'm almost 48 my eyes are going the other way I'll pick up a book in a bookstore like in a physical bookstore and I'll open it and the text will be so tiny presumably because of paper stock or cost of printing and then I just put it straight down again or for example I used to buy Wired magazine in print but what was happening is, again, they were using things like white text on the orange background mm -hmm. and, and printing the font so small that I just, you know, well, obviously I could get my glasses. But even with that, the contrast and I just felt like these are being formatted by young people <laughs> who can see. But it's not an age thing, is it? It's just a difference in, in ability. But what are your tips for print books? Definitely large print where you can like content for everyone for me is my first large print that I've done. And I will definitely be as soon as I can get a little bit of bandwidth, you know, going back to my other print books and creating the large print version of it. Because for those who want to read a physical book, I think the large print is, is good to have. Um, certainly. And I think this becomes easier. Like if you're doing something in vellum or something to create these multiple formats, but to also pick a good font, you want to pick a font that is as accessible as possible. And those tend to be fonts like Times New Roman, Arial, Homa. You really want to look for the ones that have good character differentiation and not like the ones where the uppercase I's and the lowercase L's and the ones all look the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, to help people who are dyslexic be able to parse the letters and people with lower vision not you know having easier time to parse even in the large print format so i think it's mostly about minding good fonts and within the book we actually talk about what the accessible fonts are and i listed off a couple of them there and also think italics. about 
use italics judiciously and as you're supposed to. Don't do massive blocks of text in italic, for example. Like, don't have a four-page flashback that you're doing in italic for some but reason. People, people do that or they put the whole prologue in italics. And it's yeah. like, I'm sorry, I literally can't read it. Like, It's obviously not just me, but I find italics incredibly hard to read. And you know, it's like, I, I just can't read that. So I, I will put the book down or send it back or whatever. Yeah. Do it, you know, song title, not song titles, but like album names, TV shows, movies, those get italics because that's just the proper way to designate them. But mm, mm. don't do that with the whole prologue in italics, you know, use bold <laughs> judiciously Yes, and, and not whole big text blocks. Don't do whole blocks in whole big, large pieces of text in capital letters, for example, and keep things l- left justified. I think sometimes people want to use that the justified so it has the same endpoints left and left and right. Mm. But the variation that you can get between the words can be disruptive for some people. And if you have like don't do a lot of centered text, big blocks of centered text because it it's more of a cognitive drain and can be more difficult to fully understand something if you're having to move your eye to the beginning of where each of the lines happens to be <laughs> the more we get into this the more you realize this is just a huge deal i mean an audio obviously this is a primarily an audio podcast having our books in audio format is something that we've been advocating a long time but again with the rise of ai narration i think this will finally become something very accessible i mean that is the primary driving force well one of the driving forces behind it is anyone should be able to listen to anything not just um in someone else's for me like I often say this like not I don't want to just listen to American men reading business books for example I would like to listen to British woman or another another somebody else and other people have other voices in their heads so I think again the tools because again it's not affordable for people to do audiobooks a lot of the time but this is another way we'll be able to use the tools to make things more accessible i guess yeah i'm such an advocate of being much like you are as wide as you can be with as many products as you can be and i think those two things connect to accessibility when you consider for example by and large statistically people who are disabled are underemployed So they're not employed to their full potential skill level and they're underpaid and they're underpaid and they have other expenses to manage their health, potentially to get assistive technologies or other things to help them live their life. So they may not have the discretionary income that somebody else does. So having your books available in library, in print, in ebook, in audio brings the accessibility of that book to them because the library may be their primary source for books because they're not going to spend their discretionary funds even on a KU membership or an audiobook membership to get credits because those can be pricey. And certainly AI audiobooks do fill a price point because you're going to be able to offer those at a lower cost to the libraries, to individuals Rather than the more spendy, I think a standard audiobook price these days, not counting a credit, is at least in the $20 range, yeah. if not a little bit higher. But then the subscriptions to Audible or Spotify or whatever, those also cost money that somebody may not have as a discretionary fund. 
So the more wide and the more price points, I think the better. Yes. And of course, we can have our books in libraries, ebook, audio and print. As you said, that's all available to us now. So yeah, there's a lot we can do. And I hope that this interview has given people a lot of tips. But if people want to find the book and everything else you do, where can people find you online? So the book is at contentforeveryone.info. And if you want to pick up the book from my store, you can grab it at contentforeveryone.info slash purchase. It is, of course, available wide, currently ebook and standard print and large print paperback with an audiobook yet to come. Uh, my writing, you can find at jeffadamswrites.com and podcast at biggayfictionpodcast.com. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Jeff. That was great. Yeah, thank you so much. So I hope you found the interview with Jeff interesting. And remember, it's about progress, not perfection. So is there one thing you can do to make your content and your books more accessible? Coming up this week, I have an in-between episode with Leanne Leeds on how she is using PseudoWrite powered by AI to help her creative and writing process. And next week, I'm talking to Joseph Nassis, who writes across traditional and indie. So he's a hybrid author. He has multiple genres, multiple streams of income, and focuses on both craft and business, as well as how new technologies could impact his business and how he embraces them. I got on really well with Joe, so we had a lovely conversation. In the meantime, happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time. <laughs>